Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail. The unusual chain of events that have led a lines company in Blenheim. You, know, you, you almost couldn't have a more boring business that has ended up owning an unusual and some would say struggling wine company. The New Zealand Herald's Wellington business editor Hamish Rutherford takes us through the saga of Marlborough Lines and Yellen's Wine. Why a utility company would spend tens of millions of dollars on such an unlikely investment. It's a story that has more twists and turns than an old grapevine. It involves legal action, a raid, secrets, lies, falsified documents, $120 million of community money and a struggling winery. And at the centre of it all, a pioneer of the wine industry. Local Marlborough legend Peter Yellens has converted what was once marginal farming land into a 1,000 hectare piece of prime real estate and created the country's single largest independently owned vineyard in the process. So, Hamish, this is a, it's an intriguing story. It's about a winery and a power company, and you'd think, what, what have they got in common? But it goes back several years to around about 2013, right, when two senior winemakers at Yearland's Wines were adding sugar to post-fermentation wine. Well, you know, what's wrong with that? In many countries, there's no problem with that at all, but the the, the issue is it's illegal in Europe. Under fairly ancient French law, you are not allowed to add sugar to wine post-fermentation. For America, New Zealand, Australia, no problem at all, and, and it's quite a common practice, but you can't do it for wine that's destined for Europe. That's well known in the industry. And what the two winemakers, um, Tamara Kelly Washington and Jeff Fife, uh, they effectively were were taking measures which saved the company time and improved the, the flavour of the wine. And to do that, they had to conceal what they were doing and falsify records. Fife and Kelly said they were under pressure to keep up production after damage to the vineyard during the Kaikoura earthquake. They told staff to alter records to conceal activity and to audit-proof the wines. And a junior staff member at the company discovered this, um, raised it with them, raised it with Peter Yeelands. But one did mention the addition of sugar with Mr Yeelands himself. No steps were taken and so he turned whistleblower and raised it with the Ministry for Primary Industries and over um, several years an investigation took place and ultimately was found to be illegal and it was the first charges brought under the Wine Act. Yearland's estate was fined $400,000 while Mr Yearland's and former staff will pay up to 35000 each. And there were a lot of concerns that it was um, going to be used in markets in Europe as a way to sort of block New Zealand wine. At the moment, we are seen to have a well-organised, well-regulated industry. The issue is, of course, that where you've got 700 wine producers, inevitably there are going to be people who are going to uh, want to take shortcuts. So that happened between 2013 and 2015. Exactly. It was, it was prolonged and it wasn't discovered for a long time. And flicking forward, what the real story is, is that this company, Yearlands, is now owned by Marlborough Lions. They came along to, to buy Yearlands in about 2015, and at that time it was not known to them. So July 2015, Marlborough Lines, which is a power company in the region? It's the Lines Company. In the 1990s, the electricity industry was deregulated, and they broke up all the Lines Companies and the, and the electricity retailers. All the Lines Companies were initially community-owned. 
Uh, some of them were privatised, like the one in Wellington. Some of them were partially privatised, like the one in Auckland. It's Vector. It's owned by both a trust and on the NZX. Some of them were sold off completely. Mobile Lines stayed under consumer ownership. It's owned by all the consumers and electricity. It was very successful and, and in fact, bought other companies, including OtagoNet, and it sold its interest in OtagoNet in 2014 at a huge profit and consequently had a pile of cash of around $100 million looked and looked for something to do with that money. In annual reports, they said they wanted to stay in the sort of line of business that they had been in. And then, lo and behold, in, at the start of July 2015, they announced that they'd bought 80% of Yearlands for $89 million. And, you know, a lot of people would say that is bizarre, isn't it? Certainly it is. I mean, I didn't cover that initial story, but um, as soon as it came out, I was contacting people, you know, contacts around the financial circles, and, and, and they found it utterly bizarre. Stuart Smith, the, the Kaikoura MP, of course, covers Marlborough, he immediately came out with a public statement saying it was unclear whether uh, a utility company, which is um, very simple and organised and regulated business, had the skills to run a wine business, which is all about branding and all about, you know, so much more uncertainty in the wine business. So immediately it, it became a head scratcher in terms of how and why these two businesses would fit together. Mm. Marlborough Lines said, you know, it was a great way to keep um, assets in local ownership. And they said the returns on, on running electricity businesses were falling, so it was a good way to make more dividends. Brian Gaynor, a, a market expert at the time, said the deal, and this is, this is exactly what he said, was it was a worrying reminder of the 1980s when manufacturers purchased kiwifruit farms, mining companies bought retailers and fitness centres and got into property development. Most of these transactions were not successful in the long, longer term. And he's right about the 1980s, and, it, and you really couldn't imagine almost two more different businesses than a regulated lines company and a growing branded wine business and and the skills to run them are very different. And I remember I I was actually working in RNZ business at the time and I did an interview with Peter Yellens about it. I mean he seemed pretty pleased with it actually. He he didn't think it was odd at all. We're very much aligned in philosophies and ethos. It's comforting to me to know that Yellens will remain around for a long time. Marlborough Lines investment is an intergenerational one versus some of the other equity companies that you know could swallow you up and spit you out tomorrow. I guess if you've sold the majority of your business for $89 million, there might be plenty of reasons why you might be quite pleased with that. OK, so what happened next? Well, um, just to go back a slight step, during the due diligence, we talked briefly about the whistleblower that went to MPI. Peter Yearlands was alerted to this prior to selling the business to Marlborough Lines. That has been read out in court and hasn't been disputed. Where I got involved, I discovered that this investigation was going on in the in really in early 2018. So what happens next? The, the Yearlands continued to develop. They've spent quite a lot of money improving their vineyards and, and developing new land. But eventually this investigation came up, and as soon as I contacted Marlborough Lines about it. They quickly went to court to prevent us from writing about the MPI investigation and so the whole process was suppressed for months and months and months even some of the early hearings where they were revealing what had what had been done. Uh, and in the course of the suppression Peter Yeelands was bought out of his remaining shares in Yeelands for, for $23 million. Over time, although Yeelands has struggled to make 
trading profits, uh, they have consistently revalued up the value of their of their vineyards. There is basis for that. The the price at which vineyards are changing hands in Marlborough and in other areas has been going up and up and up. So there's validity to the the value of the company's assets going up, but they haven't been generating a lot of actual trading profit a profit on making wine. And also, I think it, it certainly seemed a little unusual that uh, that, that Marlborough Lines would come to an arrangement to buy out the minority owner in a, in a vineyard when that minority owner was facing charges of deception under the Wine Act. When Marlborough Lines bought out that remaining stake of Peter Yellen's, they knew at the time that this investigation was going on. Yes, they certainly did. And in fact, Peter Yellen's knew about the allegations before he sold it. He didn't raise it with Marlborough Lines. They did not know it when they bought the company and they have acknowledged that. Certainly by the time they bought the shares out, um, they they knew the investigation was underway. MPI had raided Yeelan's uh, headquarters out in Seaview and Marlborough. They knew how serious it was. I mean, was that, was that a shock to the people running Marlborough Lines? I mean, the chairman, David Jew, the, the board? I think it sort of dawned on them over time. Initially it was presented to the board as the claims of a disaffected uh, employee. Uh, Peter Yeland was sitting around the board table at the time and, and didn't mention the fact that the employee had tried to raise the concerns with him. David Jew told me once that when it really dawned on him was when uh, MPI raided the offices in 2017. So they, they knew it was serious. In another way, they've, they've somewhat minimised what happened, saying that you know their customers don't care, but certainly MPI were, were furious about this. Gary Orr from MPI made it clear that this could have tarnished New Zealand's reputation. So quite aside from what Yeelan's customers felt about the offending, uh, there was a reputation to New Zealand's wider industry. This is unacceptable offending. It was uh, deliberate deceit. Uh, it was designed to hide the offending from uh, the regulator. For those that want to cut corners, We'll find it, we'll hold you to account. And so when Marlborough Lines bought out that remaining stake of Peter Yellen's, what was the thinking there? Was it to push Peter Yellen's to one side and have him not part of the operation at all? Well, well, when I initially asked them about it, David Jew said that it was quite possible that Peter Yellen's would continue under an ambassadorial role. Later, after the charges came out, he made it clear that you know the company was completely disassociated from Peter Yeelands, but then said he may still be available as, as something of a brand ambassador. So why exactly they chose to do it when these matters were kept secret really is a question for them, and they haven't haven't been completely clear as to why they chose to do that. So they continue to have this ongoing relationship with Peter Yeelands? Not as far as I know, but they, they haven't quite fully distanced themselves. Obviously, his, his name is on the company. It's still on the website. Mm. On the one hand, they said he could be a brand ambassador. On the other hand, they said he was completely separate from the company. So where are we at in the timeline now? <laughs> Just one other thing. Mm. Yeelands has struggled to make a profit. It's not like it hasn't been hit by external factors. There was a lot of damage done in the Kaikoura earthquake. They got some uh, insurance proceeds. But, but, but it has been a difficult time. It's um, a difficult period for them, not just related to this. So some of the problems um, were more avoidable than others, but the earthquake certainly cost them millions of dollars worth of damage. Okay, so what you're saying is that the land of Yellen's Wines has been very valuable and it's increased in value over time, Mm -hmm. but 
the operation itself has not done very well over the years. Certainly in the recent years it was estimated that at pre-tax level the company actually lost $4 million in the year to June 2020. Now that's because they didn't revalue the land this year. Over time they have um, valued the land each year, which is an unusual for a business of that type, and that, that land has gone up quite quite aggressively. The price at which developed vineyard land transacts in Marlborough. Hmm. Um, that said, in terms of making wine its core business, it struggled to generate a profit. Okay, and so does that bring us to uh, 2018 and the court hmm. hearing? Yeah, yeah. The charges under the Wine Act that the, the winemakers, with the knowledge of Peter Yearlands, were falsifying records to conceal the fact that they were adding sugar to wine destined for the EU. MPI ran a lengthy investigation and eventually brought charges. The whole case was suppressed because because of the risk to the reputation of the industry and the company. And the suppression only lifted when the three people involved pleaded guilty and, and were given heavy fines. And the company was given a heavy fine as well. What what next? Developing a large wine business is is very expensive. Clearing all the land, planting the grapes, it, 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 it costs a lot of money and the debt of Yearlands has been increasing over time. It's clearly now got to a point where there are concerns around the debt levels that, that Yearlands has. At the end of 2019, ASB, which was owed about $130 million, tried to syndicate the debt. That's, you know pass it around, get, say, the ANZ or the BNZ or other banks to take part of that debt off their hands and, mm. and to, to loan the money to Yearlands. That failed. They were unable to convince the lenders to do that. Marble Lines chairman David Dew claims that's partly to do with publicity around the case, but also the banks are concerned about the returns that it has made. Uh, at the start of December... Yearlands sold off about $34 million worth of its land to the New Zealand Super Fund. It's clearly designed to reduce debt to the company. Mm. So, you know, Marlborough Lines, which is owned by electricity consumers in Marlborough, anyone who has an electricity account in Marlborough is a, is a beneficiary. It has put about $120 million into that company since 2015. The company has been paying dividends uh, or distributions to to the trust, which get paid on to beneficiaries. But it seems like it's also running up debt to a point where, where the company is uncomfortable about it. And so now we're in a, a, a sort of phase where the company is struggling to make any profit um, and is, is sitting with high debt levels. And you know, if you look at what else could have been done with this money, just for example, if Marlborough Lines had put the $100 million into the NZDX50 back in 2015, it would have more than doubled its money by today. So a very bad investment. Well, look, it could turn around. They have a new chairman at Yearlands Wine who said they want to have a premiumisation strategy, but as one winemaker in Marlborough said to me at the meeting the other night, you know, if, if it was that simple, everyone would be doing it. It's possible that this business now goes into a phase where it increases profitability, um, but it's sitting with quite a lot of debt. It remains to be seen whether it can improve its financial performance. And that brings us to this court action that's going on right now. 
where a local business advisor, David Taylor, who claims that he is representing a wider consumer group, has taken the trustees of Marlborough Electric Power Trust, which is the owner of Marlborough Lines, to court. Mm. Yes. What the action seems to be taken, and I haven't seen all of the details, is they're still trying to find information about who knew what when, what due diligence was done, what, what research was done, who declared conflicts, all, all sorts of things, and, and, and did the trustees really hold Marlborough Lines to account? As part of that, they have sought meeting minutes from Marlborough Electric Power Trust, and once those were released, uh, they discovered that they weren't properly redacted, and they uh, discovered elements to the minutes that Marlborough Electric Power Trust and Marlborough Lines didn't want, didn't want released publicly, and so once again they went to court to get suppression orders so that those meeting minutes couldn't be distributed. The nub of the case is they say that Marlborough Lines should not have bought Yeelands in the first place, and, and, and they're really finding out whether the trustees carried out their oversight role properly in the process of that. What do they want out of this? If they are able to get the case to that point, they will attempt to sue the trustees and to compensate the beneficiaries of, of Marlborough. So what happens now? What What is the next step in this whole saga? Well, Yearlands uh, says they're moving into a premiumisation strategy. They want to try and get better, better prices for their wines, and with that they will hope that they can improve profitability. David Taylor and, and his lawyer, Michael Wigley, are um, continuing to prepare to, they hope, take a action against uh, the trustees in the High Court probably sometime next year. Where is Peter Yellens in all of this? Peter Yellens hasn't been returning my calls. Um, he seems to have gone pretty quiet about the whole business. I'm really not sure what he's up to these days. Have you spoken to him at all over the years? Only very briefly once when, when the charges were still suppressed. He just didn't want to talk about why he was leaving the company. When he was actually charged, his lawyer made a very brief statement on his behalf. He takes responsibility for that. He deeply regrets not stopping what was going on. But to the best of my knowledge, he's never spoken publicly about this. He's an interesting character, isn't he? In 2013, he was named South Island Farmer of the Year. He was a pioneer in the aquaculture industry. He's done a, a lot for farming and, and, and became a major player in the wine industry. So he is certainly, certainly at that time, was arguably New Zealand's celebrity farmer. This is a man who rose from humble hay baler uh, to Nat- National Business Review Rich Lister. Yeah, I don't know what the, uh, the typical uh, player is. and I, I dare say there's a wide range of uh, people out there that, uh, that make up this lot. <laughs> um, I'm probably uh, a little bit more unusual than the rest. And there was a book published about him by Tom Percy called A Bloke for All Seasons, The Peter Yearland Story. And he was really into sustainable farming, wasn't he? he? He was sort of into trying quite unusual things like he brought in some miniature sheep and guinea pigs. And no, that's not a tautology. He is using guinea pigs to keep the grass down between the vines. His name is Peter Yearlands. What is wrong with grass between the vines in the first place? Uh, no, there's nothing wrong with grass at all, but um, you have to maintain it. And uh, traditionally that's done by mowing. And uh, to give you an example, on our vineyard, for us to mow our grass once, we have to travel 2,000 kilometres just to mow it once. 
and some of the equipment he used in aquaculture was pioneering. I think there was a section in the book where he may have engaged in dynamite fishing um, <laughs> at, at, at one point, but certainly was a pioneer in, um, in sustainability. Now, that said, he has subsequently faced charges over pollution related to his attempts to clean up waste products from the wine industry. You know when you talk to people about this, Hamish, how do you describe the story? Because it's almost unbelievable, isn't it? It is. I mean, Marlborough Lines definitely were a very successful company in the lines business, and they, they built up a huge pool of community money. And I think they were the, the community's certainly gave them the benefit of the doubt on this deal that, that they'd built the money up themselves they'd been successful and they bought into the wine business. The question really is about governance who really made the decision to buy Yeelands and who was who was overseeing them because at the end of the day they're a consumer trust not a community trust but, but it is money that belonged to the Marlborough community so it's a question of governance. One of the sort of unusual things about the way the electricity industry is regulated is there are a number of electricity lines companies in every region of the country and some of them are private, some of them are listed some of them are community like Marlborough Lines. The Commerce Commission actually puts tougher regulatory standards on the likes of Vector in Auckland which is listed on the New Zealand Stock Exchange than on Marlborough Lines and the reason they do that is because the the theory when the, when the, when the system was set up was that the Marlborough community would regulate uh, the, the the affairs of Marlborough Lines, so they didn't need to put the same sort of regulatory scrutiny on them. Mm. Now, whether that's the case, whether the Marlborough Electric Power Trust really uh, scrutinises the decisions of Marlborough Lines is a question. You know, one of the directors on Marlborough Lines is a uh, is also a director on the Reserve Bank. These are a group of professional directors, but the question is, are they seeing oversight and were they put under the scrutiny to really, you know, if, if you were the owner of this of a lines company, and 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 the chairman came to you and said, "We're looking at buying a wine business," would would professional investors allow that deal to happen, or was the trust really confident to scrutinise the decisions of Marlborough Lines? Quite apart from that, it being a governance issue, it's just a fascinating story because of all the twists and turns to it. Absolutely, I mean it, the unusual chain of events that have led. A lines company in Blenheim. You know, you, you almost couldn't have a more boring business that has ended up owning an unusual and some would say struggling wine company. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's a funny thing. Is that you know they kind of saw the glamour of the wine industry rather than thinking, is this really a good business deal? I think a lot of the time that industries like wine do attract people because of the glamour but actually it can be an extremely difficult industry to make money in and to just assume that because you've done very well in one line of business that you can do very well in another line of business is possibly foolhardy. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Jeremy Veal engineered this episode. Alexia Russell was the producer. And thanks to Hamish Rutherford. Mā te wā.